I mean, a lot of people ask who are starting off drawing, and I'm sure you get this maybe with comedy and jokes too. Um, people say, well, how do I develop my own style, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, well, first you copy a lot of people, you sure, right? Yeah. You just do everything, just riff off of everybody. But then like I ask them, how do you, do you figure out your handwriting? Like you just did it, right? You just wrote and you just kept writing and writing and writing and eventually you created a handwriting that nobody else's handwriting looks like. We are back with a new episode of Working It Out. Um, That's the voice of uh, Wendy McNaughton. Uh, She is possibly my favorite artist, visual artist on the face of the earth. you probably know her work. She's she she drew all the pictures in Salt Fat Acid Heat, which is like this book that sold a zillion copies. It's incredible. She did the Old Man in the Pool artwork uh, with with Jen, my wife Jen's uh, photograph of me in the pool. That super cool thing. She did the new one book cover along with Crystal Saka. For a period of time, she was a journalist slash artist for the New York Times. So she would do these really fascinating drawings of real people, um, including, and we talk about today, in Guantanamo Bay. She, she drew the trials in Guantanamo Bay. It's, they're astonishing. As a matter of fact, you should consider uh, following along. Just, you know, Google Guantanamo Bay, Wendy McNaughton, New York Times. You'll see these incredible, incredible drawings. She's just like a one-of-a-kind artist. And we, we talk a lot today about the relationship between visual art and comedy and joke writing and all kinds of art and how they're sort of all interrelated. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention, she has an incredible uh, series for kids called Draw Together. And Una loves it. Uh, I know tons of kids who love this series. You can see them on YouTube. You can go to um, her site, which is drawtogether.studio, which has a nonprofit component with video supplies for underfunded art programs. Um, and it's she's phenomenal. She's at Wendy Mack on Instagram. And she was in town um, for the Broadway show, and that's why we recorded this. The, the show is up and running, which is why we've had reruns the last couple of weeks. I've just been so busy with it. But it's so fun. We're doing eight shows a week at Lincoln Center, Vivian Beaumont Theater. It's The Old Man and the Pool. If you want tickets, go to MikeOnBroadway.com or go to this site or app called Today Ticks. That seems to be the least expensive way to get tickets, and I keep sending people there because they, there's just a lot of good deals on there. Um, I, I think you're going to love this conversation. It's a one-of-a-kind one of conversation. We've never had a strictly visual artist on before, and so I'm going to send you to Instagram and TikTok to check out some of the videos of this stuff because it's visually it's really cool and at one point it's not on the audio but she teaches me how to draw which I think will end up being a video too uh, enjoy my conversation with the great Wendy McNaughton we were talking the other day about how sometimes art scales and sometimes it doesn't scale like, so sometimes you'll make something, because art's so personal, you do it alone in a room and, and, or alone in a park or alone, whatever. Right. And then, and then sometimes it ends up like with your, with you, with your book with Samin, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat in a million how, homes. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> and that's then sometimes it's just nuts. in your notebook, right? Right. And I don't think if you think, like, if, um, I don't know how this is with you, with, 
what you do, but if I start thinking about where something's going to end up, like when I'm actually making it, that's a really surefire way to fuck it up. That's a loser strategy. Kind of doesn't work. John Mulaney and I talk about that sometimes with jokes. If you imagine a laugh, mm-hmm. there will not be a laugh. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Similar. Yeah, and I think that... Um, I think some people, but everybody works differently, like visually speaking. I don't know anything about comedy or anything about anything really, but I know like a little bit about drawing and how different artists work. And there are some people who think about how they want things to look, like when it's, they plan it out. They do a sketch and then they do like three sketches and then they do a final and then they tweak it and then it's done. But I don't know where a drawing is going when I start. Yeah. Like I might have an idea of what I want to do, but then like once the pencil or pen is down on the page or the paint or whatever, it goes in a totally different direction. So I don't know how somebody would like, as you say, like try and tell a, you know, think a joke is funny and then like tell that. Like I don't I don't think I could try and do a good drawing yeah. and it turn out well. Like it just kind of do what's in That's the why art and commerce have a challenging uh, dynamic. Say more. Because like, in other words, like I'm always reluctant, like you're my friend, but I'm always reluctant to ask my friends to work on something for a few reasons. One is I don't want to offend them in some business way of Uh like, I'm bigger than that. I wouldn't do it. I've, trust me, I've had these. Has that happened to you? I've had a couple of these over the years. They're they're wild. They're wild. Really? Yeah, yeah, I have. I have. They they make me cringe. I can't imagine that that happening. Um, Yeah, no, it's it's been an odd thing. And then then there's the other version, which is, harkens back to what we're talking about, which is, I don't know if you will have a vision for something that you would be proud of making uh-huh. that also coincides with the the show that the old man in the pool that I'm writing so right. like I think at one point I showed you the photo mm-hmm. uh, that Jen had taken and you were like oh you could do this this and this and yeah. this could be something and I don't even think that I asked you I think you had an idea and then I was like oh then it gave me permission to ask. I think that's true. I think we talked about it and then I went in some direction and then you came back with that photo and then it kind of all came together. And I think that's like a that's a really good collaboration, yeah. right? When you have like kind of some nebulous loose feeling, not an idea of what it's going to look like, but maybe what it's going to feel like, yeah. right? And then I kind of see whatever you have or get a sense of that feeling and then go in my direction and then we make something that like neither of us would have yes. come up with on our own. That's when that's it happens the, well. I think that's the best case scenario. And I think even like that photo, for example, I think it's good that it wasn't on a sound stage with a swimming pool and you know what I mean? Well, with I love with, that with you lights like that. everywhere. Yeah, I mean that's the same way. So I think most artists, actually especially at your level, like would probably want maybe more control over things like that. Mm-hmm. I but because you're giving up a lot when you're just using like a snapshot. You know, it's a pretty for any folks who haven't seen it, I'm sure everybody's seen it by now, but if anybody hasn't, it's a very vulnerable photo. You're just wearing your swim trunks Gosh, in a pool. I think <laughs> I look great. You this do. my my world is <laughs> crashing around me. And vulnerable is handsome and sexy, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's an it's a very vulnerable shot that does look like um yeah, authentic, right? It's so a, it's a human body 
Yeah. In a vulnerable state. Floating in the water. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried to do a bunch of different styles of lettering. Some were more like watery or bubbly or whatever, but they all looked kind of contrived and didn't match like the authenticity and vulnerability of the photo. So it became like really simple. It's funny because like, so you've you've drawn... Uh, for a, a, a for a whole period of time, you were a, a, a drawing journalist, an illustrating <laughs> yeah. journalist for the New York Times. Yeah, which someone else does now. Julia Rothman does it now. She's amazing. She does it with her writing partner, um, Shana Feinberg, and um, yeah. So I started the. Um, it was the first drawn journalism column in the New wow. York Times. Yeah, it was very cool that they're willing to take a com- big leap with uh, somebody like me. What's interesting about that to me, partly, is uh, that I, I I don't know if this is the intention of it. I don't. Hmm. In some ways, when I when I when I when I've read those and looked at your uh, your journalistic drawings, it sort of points to the subjectivity of journalism in a certain way. Say more about that. Because it's your perspective. Well, but it's always journalist perspective. Right, and right. they have there's this whole is. thing. You can go me on I can go on a spiel. Sure. You want a spiel? Cool. Nope. Okay. Well, I, I want uh, you want this. I have a <laughs> have I got a podcast for you. <laughs> Great. Okay. <laughs> so there is this idea of um so like Oh wow! You're, we're, no, I'm going to go deep just for a second. Bear with me. So for a long time, painting was this thing that represented what we wanted reality to be. So sure. like the kings would hire the artist to like put up these portraits. They don't really look like them, but it was the idea of what that person looked like, and that yeah. was considered reality, right? Yeah. And then photography came along. Right. What? And it like then, well, what is painting if you can actually show what's real? What happens to painting, <laughs> right. right? So then all of a sudden they're painting like grids and splotches and splatters and all that stuff, which is great. But painting became something totally different because photography was what's real. The literal. But like it's only in the past, whatever, 25 years from that people started thinking, well, wait a second. Like the photographers are choosing like what is in and out of the frame. Yeah. They're choosing like the kind of feeling that the the photograph is bringing up. It's totally subjective. Yeah. So – but it still kind of tricks you because it's like made with this machine and it's in a newspaper and it's kind of the best we can do. So with drawing, this drawn journalism thing that I do, um, my goal with it is to just completely embrace the subjectivity and say that the most honest and real that I can, like story that I can possibly present is by doing my very best to spend as much time as I can with somebody Mm. to get a real sense of who they are, use their own words, and Mm -hmm. combine that with drawings that are done mostly from life Mm -hmm. and put those together and tell a story. So when somebody looks at it, they're not seeing like a kind of hard machine-made idea of objective reality. They're seeing what Wendy experienced in that moment. Yeah. And if you trust me, then that's the most real that it can be, yeah. you know? I think it's interesting the thing you're saying about photography because that was like a huge revelation when I was in college studying photography and drawing for the first time because mm. there's this conception and there's this conception of, I feel like from childhood, I think it's a very child, you know, thing, which is you're the good artist in the class. Mm-hmm. Like I remember it was like, you know, 
I remember like in fourth grade, like there was like a girl in the class who's like, she's the drawer of yeah. the class, right? Yeah. And, and, then, and then the rest of us were like, we're not the drawers. But the truth is we're all the drawers. Totally. Did your teacher say anything to, I don't do you think remember? So. No, no, we were never corrected on it. And so I feel like when mm. I got to college, it was my screenwriting professor, this guy, John Glavin, and I was studying screenwriting like, uh, you know, very intensely. And he goes, you know, what you should really be doing is taking photography classes and drawing classes if you want to make films. Oh, well. Because really it's about framing. Mm. It's about visual framing. Filmmaking is about visual framing. And did you take some yeah. classes? And yeah, my I, I think my drawing class was the thing that changed the way I looked at all art for the rest of my life. Really? What yeah. do you remember from your classes? I just remember the concept that you know, when I see that bottle here on the table, that I that I draw what I see and not what I imagine a bottle looks like, mm-hmm. and it's so simple of yeah. an idea. But once that my eyes were open to that idea, I was like, oh, that applies to everything. That applies to improv. If I initiate a scene uh, of, of a where I play a mailman, I don't play uh, what I imagine a mailman would be like. I play it like a person who I've met who very well could be a mailman. So I'm more personally related yeah. to the character. Oh, that that's I'm so playing. interesting. I didn't think about that connection at all. Yeah, we did a, um, I think the first time that, that you and I met, we did this drawing exercise that I do with a lot of people when um, I ask people to look at each other and draw each other for a minute or two minutes yeah. without looking down at the paper. And that's one of my favorite things to do with people who say they can't draw or they're not yeah. drawers or whatever, because um, that drawing has nothing to do with making a good drawing. And I'd argue most of the best drawing in the world has nothing to do with making a quote unquote good drawing. It yeah. has to do with learning to look and see what's yeah. actually in front of us. And when two people do that um, for a minute or two and they don't look away, which is what we're usually trained to do, it creates this intimacy that I think it's like magical, like magic stuff happens. Yeah. After that, we just don't do enough like looking. And that's what joke writing is too. I mean, it's just looking. It's just paying attention. How do you notice things when you're like um so if I if I'm going to if I'm going to go get a cup of coffee right now, I'll just walk down the street and I'll get a cup of coffee and I'll come back and I'll probably look at my phone and I won't really notice right. anything or anybody for that matter. But I do have this like little switch in my brain that I turn and I kind of can in draw together which is the kids drawing classes we do, um, I, call it, I call it putting on our art eyes. Mm-hmm. If I put on my art eyes, like it's this switch and I start noticing things in a really different way and mm-hmm. I, I start framing things and um, I guess that's called paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, but sure. is there something like, do you switch between modes like that too? Or are you always on? Yeah, so like, like I, I find that the job of the comedian is just to be, like you're saying, art eyes, being open, listening, paying attention. Like, a, you know, one of my jokes from a few years ago was like walking into a cafe here and uh, and this woman in front of me in line says to her son, like, um, Arrow, if I don't get my coffee soon, I am going to die literally. And... And I just, I thought that was really funny. Yeah. The, the, just the dialogue of that. So yeah. I just wrote that in my notebook. I just thought it was funny. Like I was like, it's not a joke, but it's funny. And then and then I go home and I, it's in my notebook. And, I, and then I wrote the joke, which is like, 
what I wanted to say to the woman was like, I don't think that maybe the word literally is the best word for the situation because if if your son thinks that uh, that's what literally means, he might think he's an arrow. <laughs> and if he is an arrow and he hugs you, you might die literally. <laughs> and it's so stupid, but so it's all just from... Like you're that saying, moment. art eyes. Yeah, from your art eyes, you caught it. And so you keep a notebook mm-hmm. and you write no, like you don't yeah, write I've, the jokes I've, down. I, I, I piles and piles of the notebooks. And yeah. you carry them in a pocket. Yeah, it's the so so. I carry a sketchbook. Yeah, right. And that sketchbook, sometimes the drawings that I do in that will end up being a finished drawing. I'll go home and I'll paint it or something like that. But then, similar to you, I'll also just take those drawings and those will kind of put them together in a way, and they become a final a final thing. I don't yeah. really know many people who make stuff who don't carry around some kind of a little notebook or something. It's a tricky moment we're in right now because when you walk down the street and I'm guilty of this too, like you just see a ton of people staring at their phone and and that's not where artists come from. No. Artists Have you definitely ever don't... gotten a good idea from looking at Instagram? No. no, no. no, 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 no You've no, got no. made friends, you know, or like gotten stuff sure. out there, right? Friends. But like friends. <laughs> <laughs> they like you, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, but you're right. No, I've never gotten a good idea from Instagram no, or Twitter or something. No, and yet, like, I do find myself scrolling, thinking, like, maybe if I keep scrolling, I'll hit a good idea, you know? And it just doesn't. No, it only has, you only, like, I only find good ideas or draw good things through actually drawing. Shocking. Right. But it's, yeah. it's hard to switch over to that gear sometimes with this damn machine in the hands. It's interesting, though. Like, the thing you're saying about the exercise of just drawing someone mm-hmm. it, it is sort of an act of love in a certain way because you're seeing the person you're you're spending time looking and thinking about that person yeah we say in draw together drawing is looking and looking is loving love that yeah Support for Working Out comes from Aura Frames. We all love taking photos on our phones, right? But there's so many of them. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of photos wasting away in your camera roll. Stop scrolling through so many photos. Start putting them to good use with a unique, stylish, digital picture frame from Aura Frames. I got one of them right by my bedside. It's like a slideshow of photos that I really like from my, of my family that sort of scrolls through on this little frame, this little picture frame. I love it. Free unlimited storage. You can add unlimited photos and videos. Invite as many people as you want to a frame. There are absolutely no hidden fees or subscriptions, and it's private. You have complete control over who has access to your frame. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code WIO. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com, code W-I-O. Terms and conditions apply. Support for Mike Birbiglia's Working It Out comes from Helix Sleep. Helix has been with this podcast from the very beginning. We are huge Helix mattress fans over here. Let me tell you a few things that are great about Helix Sleep mattresses. They are fiberglass-free. 
Unlike other brands, Helix mattresses do not contain fiberglass, which can be harmful to your health. As you may have seen in the news or on social media, there have been a number of health issues and lawsuits related to fiberglass and mattresses. You know, actually, I used to, I used to have a mattress that was pure fiberglass. It was just, it was literally a bed of fiberglass. No longer. I sleep on Helix mattresses, which are fiberglass free. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash burbigs. That's helixsleep.com slash burbigs. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. No, now. What's interesting is like you've drawn stuff like draw together with kids and then you've drawn like very like serious stuff like you drew some of the folks, the detainees at Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. And so those are two very different things. They are very different things. Although I would argue there, there's a through line in everything that um, like drawing, like I said, before, drawing a good picture is not very interesting to me. The process of drawing and looking is very interesting to me. Like that, I feel lucky I get to connect with people through drawing. Yeah. And that's all it is for me. Drawing is a way to connect with people. Yeah. So whether it be, yeah, Guantanamo Bay, that was really intense. Yeah. Um, but the opportunity to be there and witness something, because there's no cameras allowed in Guantanamo Bay, right? So like, who hired you? The New York Times. So they, so they got permission from the the military? Yes. Um, wow. do you do you really want me to tell you oh, about this? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> On a comedy podcast? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's talk are, about Gitmo. I think people are smart <laughs> enough who listen to this podcast to know that it's okay. not all laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um so the in Guantanamo Bay, I think I was the fifth artist who'd ever been allowed on base at wow. Guantanamo Bay and the first that the New York Times had flown out there. Yeah. You have to get permission um, from the military. And I was there to document the war court. I worked with a woman named Carol Rosenberg, who's been there since before they opened. And she um, is the main reporter for the New York Times um, who covers it and makes sure that there's always attention being put on what's happening mm. there and um, bringing stuff to light. And she wanted to do a story that was kind of about um, the aesthetics of the courtroom mm -hmm. and specifically like, it's it's super weird. Like the like what I was saying before, like your sweatshirt tells a story, mm -hmm. right? In the Guantanamo Bay courtroom, everything everybody wears and how they sit and how they move all tells a story about what's going on politically. It's like a theater. And I hope it's okay for me to be saying all of this. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> I so. I spoke, I've spoken to the, the president. Okay, you got he permission? Said it's fine. <laughs> okay, good. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so I had to go through and get all of the FBI security clearances and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, went out there with all my pens and my papers and went to the courtroom. This is the craziest thing about drawing in Guantanamo Bay. Wow. I, these are stunning. Okay. I'm just so that's. These. People have to follow along by going. Okay. Just do, just, just search for Guantanamo uh, Bay and Wendy McNaughton and you'll see these drawings are incredible. So the ones you're looking at there, I wrote a piece about what it's like to draw there and the challenges of it. So one of the reasons that 
uh, this assignment, it was a journalistic assignment, made sense for me is because I draw from life, like yeah. almost exclusively. And yeah. so I could sit in the courtroom, but I'm not a sketch artist per se. Like I really try and capture a moment. Everything that you draw in the observation room of the courtroom has to be um, finished by the time you leave. Oh my okay? gosh. Um, so, you so you can't, can't make changes You can't afterwards. change anything. Wow. Like, it's like literally illegal to change things, oh literally. Gosh. Okay. So uh, um, an officer had to come into the courtroom and look at every drawing that I did and made sure that there was nothing that was not supposed to be included because there was all these things I was not allowed to draw. Wow. Couldn't include any of that stuff. And if it was approved to go out into the world, um, the person would take a sticker and put it on the drawing and then sign it and say, this drawing has been approved for release by the military. Wow. It was the most intense drawing experience I've, I've had. And I would not say that I would love to do it again. Being in Guantanamo Bay for a week was not um, anything I would really wish on anybody. Yeah. But I'm glad that the reporters there are doing what she's doing. And it was a huge honor to be able to do it and to be able to um, like capture these images and share them with people because otherwise they would not be out there. Right. right? So um, right. the other hard thing about this, again, this is probably too intense for your podcast, but like the real, real story of this is um, one of the main instructions I was given is that I was not allowed to make eye contact with anybody in the courtroom. Oh. So like um, KSM, the guy who was kind of the orchestrator yeah. of 9-11, he was in there. And uh, I was not allowed, I had to draw him, but I was not allowed to make eye contact with yeah. him. And the premise of all of my work is like to humanize people yeah. and yeah. to um, bring people, like make a connection between yeah. the viewer and the subject. And so I had to, I wasn't allowed to connect with them myself. So it was uh, like an emotionally kind of impossible feat. So in other words, you couldn't speak with them, but you could look at them. I, but they I couldn't was, look at you? No, they could look at me and I could look at them. Yeah. But if we made eye contact, I was told to look through them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so strange. It's that so strange. And then you do... I can't tell you how against everything like in my cells that goes. Yeah. But it's like, that's the job. And that's why in a way, like I'll say I do journalism, but there is this idea of like this objectivity and being able to look through somebody and just yeah. tell the facts. And I think that's a load of crap. Yeah, I think it just, it's, it, it's- It feels false. Totally false. Yeah. So. Well, everything, gosh. I, I can't that, believe we just went down a chaos. No, but, 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 but let me, I wanna zoom out to just art and jokes and comedy and, <laughs> and the relationship between all these things for a second, because I wanna point out that Whenever, whenever young com I talk to young comics and they want advice, and and I'm guessing it's the same in the universe of drawing, but I don't know this to be true, is is I always say, keep trying to find your voice, keep trying to find your version of whatever this is. It's like there's going to be a thousand people's jokes on you know, the midterm elections, let's say. I don't do political comedy. But what's the one that's you? What's deep inside you in relationship to that? Mm. That's the only thing that's interesting. Right. I think that's true. Um, that goes back to like the handwriting thing. Yeah, so, this is your handwriting. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people ask who are starting off drawing, and I'm sure you get this maybe 
with comedy and jokes too, um, people say, well, how do I develop my own style, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, well, first you copy a lot of people, you sure, right? Yeah. You just do everything, just riff off of everybody. But then like I ask them, how do you, do you figure out your handwriting? Like you just did it, right? You just right. wrote and you just kept writing and yeah. writing and writing and eventually you created a handwriting that nobody else's handwriting looks like. That's right. It's probably the same thing. Well, there's my, my handwriting is projected onto a screen in The Old Man in the Pool and it is not pretty. <laughs> but it's so authentic. But it's interesting. It's, it's, that's what <laughs> it's it is. It's yours. And it's human. Yeah. And that's what people are showing up for. Right, that's right. And I think if you had like some font that looked human and was nicely yeah. kerned and all of that stuff, it would feel very eerie and not like you. Yeah. Right? Oh, get, but getting back to the college thing. So yeah. my college professor told me to take a drawing course, but it's... And and I and it changed the way that I looked at framing, and I I just still think about that. You know, if you take for example this bottle we're looking at, it's like you could shoot it aerially, and that's a, a completely unique thing you could do is an ultra you know close up of of uh, of the uh, label, and that's a unique approach. You could right. you could do it from a low angle shot and totally. give the bottle power. Um, Listen to you. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's the same as like a a film, right? Like same as film, yeah. Right. Do you do that with jokes? Like, do you try and come at it from different angles? Of course, yeah. So you take the same, you take the same joke, and you go like, "Well, what if I did it? um, You know, extremely passionately. What if I did it extremely?" you know, in a self-deprecating way. What's, yeah. What are the different angles of the same story? And do you do that in advance of a show or is that part of you doing shows and like working stuff out on stage? Is it's, your... all, it's all in the draft process. So like, ah. that's why I'm curious. I'm curious about how many drafts you go through for a typical drawing. Obviously the Guantanamo Bay example, you can't do multiple drafts, but typic- like for me, of a of a typical joke, there would be five, 10, 15, maybe 20 drafts of the same joke. Um, of my shows, there's 20, 30, 40, 50 drafts of the same show by the and, time it reaches people. And, and I'm, I'm just trying to understand the contours of it so that I can deliver something that that people, the honestly, like the, like I'm not trying to be uh, popular but I am trying to connect with as many people as possible with the thing I'm doing. Yeah. Which is like an odd, it's a uni, It's a subtle distinction. No, I get it. I get that distinction because you're also, you're trying to, to go back to what you said, like very much be real from you, right? Yeah. If you start trying to be popular, then you're asking what other people want you to do and you start doing that, right? Which you're yeah. going to lose, get lost in. But I, I guess I'm in awe. I work so differently than you in that, like that that you go up after you've done all those drafts, then you go on stage and then you're making little tweaks. Like I've I've seen the old man in the pool three times now, and it's been three different experiences. Like like there's just been subtle and a couple dramatic shifts yeah, yeah, that have big made stuff. big yeah. changes, yeah. right? Um, and I you saw it in Berkeley, Los Angeles, and then in New York, right? And yeah. so the Berkeley one had a totally different ending, yep. right? And yep. then um, both Los Angeles and now New York has this. I'm not going to say anything about it, but it's yeah. like really powerful. Um, and part of that, by the way, was in Berkeley, the change of the ending was based on um, a note that Pete Doctor gave us. Pete Doctor, head of Pixar, director of 
up and inside out. Basically, what sometimes to grill our, our artistic friends, we'll say, because they'll go, great show. Yeah. And then we'll say to them, like, what do you say to your partner on the ride home? Oh, that's such a good question. What do you Oof. say? Like, it was good, but, but there's one yeah. thing. And we try to get to that. Yeah. But what's the but? What's the thing it's like nagging at you? And, and do it, people want to share that with you? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Over the years, there have been a handful of instances where I've asked people I admire, like, what's the but? You know, because I'm... And you know the other trick I ask people mm. is, um, were you ever confused? Mm. Sometimes what they're quote unquote confused about is actually what they don't like, but they're oh, not going to say they don't like right. it because they're your friend. Right. That's but anyway. That's P, smart. P. Doctor had said this thing about the ending, which is that there was a version of the ending where he was like, "You're kind of telling us uh-huh. the whole the whole show is a story, the story, a story. We're with you. We're with you. We're with you." And now I'm going to tell you something. Uh-huh. And it becomes like about the thing yeah. instead of the thing. Yeah. And yeah. so then it stops being a story and it starts to be, oh, he brought us here to tell us a thing as opposed to us arriving at something emotionally on our own. It's, it's just so it's, – I'm, I'm – I'm very in awe of what you do. It's really so different. The process, like I'm way too much a perfectionist to be able to do the process of what you do. If there is an equivalent in drawing, and there is like people who do sketch and sketches and sketches and then they do a painting. Yeah. That would be the equivalent, I guess. Right. Especially if you're doing oil painting because then when you do the oil painting, you can erase everything and keep going. But um, I used to paint in oils and I am a perfectionist, which meant that I kept changing it and changing it and yeah. changing it. To, it was like a muddy mess just lost track of the whole feeling and why I was doing okay. it in the first place. That's part of the reasons why I use watercolors and only draw with pen. You can't erase a pen and you can't redo a watercolor. You oh. just keep going, right? If you mess up a watercolor, you either got to change your tack and work with it or crumple it up and throw it away and okay. start over. So it keeps me in the moment. It keeps me like keeps the energy of whatever I'm trying to draw, whether that be from something I'm observing, which it usually is, or something that's coming from inside. Like yeah. it's really present right there and I can't overthink it. Yeah. I guess we like figure out mediums that support our own neuroses or whatever they are. Right. right? Yeah. But if I had to if I had the opportunity to redo and redo and redo things, I don't I think I'd like drive it into the ground. But you managed to like Make it better and better and better and better. But you did like the cover of the new one, and mm-hmm. you sent me a, a thing that that is framed in our and me and Jenny's uh, kitchen, which is the the various like I wouldn't even I don't know how the different paint colors on the side that was the palette color palette. Yeah. And then, but and, and then part of the cover painted, but I'm like, well, what? Which part of that is that mid process? No, because that's the actual. No, I think that was pretty much thing. it. I think what I sent you, I think maybe we laid in a background color or something like that. But no, I sent you like the art. So that's the I, master. We did some that's ske- the master drawing. Yeah, that's it. That's oh, wow. the that's the finished Holy final hell. drawing. Yeah, um, wow. we did some sketches though. Remember that I was like on the road and in the back of yes. a. <laughs> Back yeah, you in were my living in your mobile sort studio. Sort of living in your mobile studio it's car a, thing. Nice which way is, of saying living in my car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've been in this car when I was in Berkeley. You showed me this car. I rode in this car with you. It's a car that you created. This is extraordinary. We have to post this on Instagram <laughs> so people understand what 
I mean, Wendy's at Wendy Mac, at Wendy Mac, um, and I'm at Upper Biggs, but we'll, we'll post this. It's like you created a, a essentially almost like a, a a a drawing work studio kind of easel situation in your trunk of your car. <laughs> well, is that it, anything like what it is? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a really good. Close, okay. yeah. It's a it's a Honda Element. I'll have you know, wow. not just any car. Sponsored, sponsored. But a, yeah, please. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Oh, you're for waiting them. for them. I'm waiting for oh, them. Come on, Honda Element. Yeah, Honda. It's, come this is on. All, also, they stopped making them. Oh, so they did? if they decide to relaunch them, which I hear they might do, oh, and if they do plan right. on doing that, they'll all make right. somebody. Heads up, Honda Element. Um, uh, I worked with a woodworker. To, Totally remove the interior, the back of the car, like rip out all the plastic wow. and then build out an art studio in the back where I can both draw, paint, and sleep. It's tight. It's cozy, but it's good. I love it. So you sleep in it. I do. Yeah. It's yeah. And you've seen it. It's not it's, it's not luxurious. Well, it's not huge. It's not huge. <laughs> <laughs> and I am not that petite. So it is it's cozy. Um do you, well, where's a safe I, I mean I've slept in my car a handful of times. <laughs> I've had a long career. Uh, didn't, wasn't <laughs> did, always, it wasn't always going so yeah. well. Um, no, but I, it's no, a the, hotel on I, wheels. Well, it yeah, is. early in my career, I did have a handful of times where I slept in my car. Of course. But, but um, where do you do it so it's safe? I've slept in truck stops. I've slept on the side of the road. I've wow. slept in parking lots. Wow. Yeah, I know. But you know what? It sounds really gutsy, but I have this thing called like a lock. Right. <laughs> I just a lock, lock sure. my door. Yeah. yeah and then I get I'm it. locked inside. And I have these like little special windows I put up so you can't see, and it's all like blackout oh, windows. Okay. That's People good. can't see into oh, very it. Good. Very I sleep with a little knife next to me. You know, oh my gosh, I'm totally really? safe. Yeah, it's good. Have you had to use the knife? Not yet. <laughs> yeah. Hey friends, this is a little shout out to my cats, Precious and Mr. Mustache. This ad is is for them. Those are my two cats. I love my pets. I know you love your pets too. And today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. They offer customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you and me to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO for working it out. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance.
Working It Out is supported by Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can upload video content, organize your video library, and showcase your content. On beautiful video pages, you can even access your video library by adding a paywall to your content. My God, Squarespace is keeping up with the times. They're the forerunners of the industry. They're way ahead of us and right with us. I made up that slogan. I should point out that this is an ad for Squarespace, but I love Squarespace. Our website for Thank God for Jokes was Squarespace. Our website for Stand Up and Vote was Squarespace. Couldn't recommend it more highly. We use it all the time. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, head to squarespace.com slash burbigs, B-I-R-B-I-G-S, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash burbigs to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Um, all right, so these are some slow round questions. Um, what do you find the hardest to represent graphically? I It's... Here's the thing. Nothing is hard to draw if you don't mind doing a shitty job at it. Mm. Like, like if you're trying to do it right, everything's hard to draw. Mm. But if you give that up and do the trick of, like, drawing without looking down or yeah. something like that, it, you can pretty much draw anything. And I don't um, – I do draw like that a lot, like, without looking down. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, were you a, were you the kid growing up who was like she's the good drawer in the class? I was. You were, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was right. for a little while until I went to art school, and then I became like not the good kid. That's super hard. Interesting. Yeah, when um, you go from being like the. I remember in high school, like the drawing I did of, you know, Dr. Zeus or whatever got onto the t-shirt and I won $150 and it was like the biggest thing mm. ever. And then I thought, yeah, I can be a professional artist. And then I went to art school and I was bottom of the heap. Everybody else had, oh my God. And then I stopped drawing for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Did you so, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't have to go. After art school? <laughs> During art school. Really? Remember that thing I said about being a perfectionist? The yeah. thing that goes along with being a perfectionist is being really hard on yourself and not giving your, like, if you're not the best or doing the best thing, then you quit. It sucks. And I quit. I quit drawing and then started 10 years This is later. huge. This is huge. So there's people <laughs> who are listening to this or watching this who are perfectionists, who have stopped. How do you start again? That's a really good question. Do you think people, I think probably a lot everybody, of people listening does that. Everybody. Like, I, I know so many people who are great, great artists and writers who are perfectionists and then they stop doing it. Why? I, I think it's the most common thing. Why do they, they do it? Because they get a knock. No, they get like they get some kind of a knock, right? Yeah, they feel like they feel like they can't execute the thing that's in their head as well as they want it to. I know, but of course, because they do have these big ideas, yeah. and the only way to do it is to like keep doing it, right? But it's yeah. really hard to stick with when you're doing the shitty stuff. What's the answer? Oh. What's the answer? What's the solution? Keep doing yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Make, keep making I know. crappy stuff. I know. Like, that's it. And also, like, oh, here, other trick is keep putting it out there so that everything, like, I think you do this really well because you're always putting stuff out there. It almost devalues it a little bit. I'm not saying your work isn't valuable. It's so valuable. But, but when you're putting out that much, you can't be as precious with everything. Here, here's another way to look at it too. 
like I know a lot of filmmakers like this. Mm. They don't make another. They make one film. They don't make another one because they're gonna fuck it up or whatever. You Especially know what if I mean? that first film did really well. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a very common thing. The people who we admire, mm-hmm. you know, the Robert Altmans of the world, the Orson Welleses of the world, the stuff that we admire, they think they fucked it up. Right. No. If Robert Altman were alive, he'd go, he'd go, I fucked up Nashville. Oh, my God. Here's what's wrong with oh it. Oh, my God. Right? Can you imagine? And the other thing is we don't see what is in his head. Yeah. We see what's on the screen. Exactly. And our bar is here, low. His bar is up above the ceiling. Yeah. And he ends up getting it somewhere in the middle. So we're like, holy shit. Yeah. But he, we don't see this stuff, right, in between. You don't, yeah. You only see the, you're only privy to the final draft. Right. And then you just assume that was the first draft because your your brain does a mental trick that makes it just jump onto the screen. Right. As, and, as Quentin, you know, oh, it's Quentin Tarantino's, that's not Quentin Tarantino's first cut. Yeah. That you're watching. <laughs> That's Pulp Fiction draft 15. Yeah, and nobody sees the other 14 or the things that Quentin is upset that didn't get in the movie that he wanted. Sure. Yeah, so we're all just probably really, really hard on ourselves. What do we do about it? We can make mistakes over and over again. Over and over until, again. And then we release the mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that's the hard thing. You got to release the mistakes. I know there's things wrong with my uh. movies and my shows. I know that. I, I see, can see the flaws. Yeah. It's painful. Some nights I'm on stage, middle of the show. Yeah. This isn't as good as it could be. That's mm, my when inner you're in monologue. The middle of it? Yeah. What do you do when that happens? I just try to find it, find the most inspired version within the constraints of the words that I have. Mm-hmm. And then how do you switch your feeling inside? You just keep going. I find I find that from the audience. The audience gives me the energy. So if they're laughing at something, that lights me up because I love it when people laugh. Yeah. Um, what's what's a nickname that you've had in your life that's either good or bad? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, McNaughty. <laughs> McNaughty, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. I like McNaughty. That's both good and bad. Um, what is your earliest memory? Um I remember standing up in my crib looking out the window at San Francisco. Oh, my gosh. I remember. And I remember the door opening, and I wasn't supposed to be standing up in my crib. Oh. That's what I remember. I've also seen a photo of that, so I don't know if I remember it or not. If it's real or— But I choose to remember that. What do you—oh, what's the thing that you crave most in art— or film or television or any any art you're enjoying, what do you crave most in it? Is there a quality that's consistent or a theme? I don't like things that take themselves too seriously. Mm. I get uh, I don't have much of a tolerance for that. So I guess the way the positive way of saying that would be that I like things that um, are a bit humorous and a bit like light. And might be able to look at something that might be real challenging or something like that, but do it with like a little bit of humanity and levity. What's the best piece of advice that you've been given that you used? One is, uh, so 
like being a perfectionist, I can work on things forever, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so if you told me like, I remember I was given an assignment to do a story. I'm like, but I'm going to need a month to to do the story well. And um, my editor was like, yeah, but you only have two days. Mm. I'm like, but I need a month. He's like, well, why don't you see what mm. you can do in two days? Mm-hmm. And that changed my whole frame of like this idea, seeing things what it could be mm-hmm. versus like working with the restrictions mm. of what are. And things end up working out really well when we give like really intense restrictions, I think, to work. We had another thing called working it out for a cause where we contribute to a nonprofit of your choice. Yeah. And we try to, uh, we link to them in the, in, the, in the show notes. So who do you think is an organization that does a great job? Wow, I've heard of this thing called Draw Together, but I'm not going to do that. No, no, because, that's what you should do. No, I don't want to, that's not okay. Okay. Um, I, I am going to say that Draw Together is a great thing to support. Yes. And what I would like to support with this, though, is um, a great organization called Girls Garage um, uh, that is out in the East Bay, in the Bay Area, and they teach girls how to use tools and build things and gain a lot of confidence and be pretty awesome. Girlsgarage.org. Yeah. This looks so cool. It's so cool. Even just going on their site. Yeah. Like their, their motto is fear less, build more. And they teach girls to like, you know, build know, bus stops and tables and they go and do it for nonprofits. I mean, yeah. this is fantastic. It's cool. Founded it's by like, Emily Pilliton, the best. You, sometimes you get so down about the state of the world and the country and all these things. And then you see like an organization like this, a Girls Garage, or Draw Together, and, and and you just go, oh, there's people doing super positive things, and we should support those things. Thank you, Wendy McNaughton, for being my friend and my collaborator and someone I admire. Right back at you, Mike Rubiglia. <laughs> this has been super fun. Thanks Thank for having me much. on. Working it out, because it's not done. Working it out. There's no That's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. That's Wendy McNaughton. I couldn't recommend more highly following Wendy McNaughton on Instagram, at Wendy Mac. She's just a fantastic artist. You should visit drawtogether.studio, which has these great videos and is a great nonprofit organization supporting art in schools. Um, also, look out for, we didn't talk about it today, in July, she has a book called How to Say Goodbye, that is gorgeous. It's um, it's about uh, coming to grips with people who you love uh, dying and 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 sort of coming you know dealing with that and and it's it's gorgeous. She actually sent me a version of it once when Jen and I were going through something and and it really brought me to tears and it was very cathartic. So look out for that. I think you can pre-order that now. Our producers of Working Out are myself, along with Joseph Berbiglia and Peter Salomon, associate producer Mabel Lewis, consulting producer Seth Barish. Assistant producers Gary Simons and Lucy Jones. Sound mixed by Kate Belinsky. Special thanks to Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. My consigliere's Mike Bergowitz. Special thanks to Jack Andonoff and Bleachers for their music. Jack just got nominated for Producer of the Year. Grammy. Again. Again. Running up the score on all the other music producers. Special thanks, as always, to my wife, the poet J-Hope Stein. Her book is called Little Astronauts in your local bookstore right now. Special thanks, as always, to my daughter, Una, who created the original radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. I can see you telling your friends and enemies, by the way, on the Apple podcast. I read all those. I, they, they, they help. 
If you literally, if you have three minutes this holiday season, this holiday season, I think that needs to be, that needs to be a message in the holiday season. Go on Apple Podcasts, just write, here's my favorite episode of this. And then we can find, get some of the friends and enemies to, to show up to the podcast. And enemies can be anywhere, really. I mean, uh, maybe you run into one of your enemies at one of Wendy's Draw Together online classes and you can say, hey, if you're enjoying Wendy's drawing class so much, maybe you'd enjoy an episode of a podcast she was a guest on called Mike Birbiglia's Working It Out. It's where creatives get together and chat about process. And Wendy will be like, get back to drawing. She, she doesn't really talk like that. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We're working it out. We'll see you next time.